Welcome everybody, Filibuster Freestyle Hush Tones Podcast. It must be a weekend edition. It is. It's a Sunday morning. Beautiful here in the Boston area. It's your buddy Gavin. Red Sox have tied the American League Championship Series at one game apiece after game two last evening, which will get us into some of our main points of today's pod. We are doing a solo pod, original style today. Probably going to file this one under the sports jerks category, but we continue to look for a time that will work to reassemble the original sports jerks, Andrew Patterson, Jeremy Johnson of Man Cook Good, and yours truly. Though I will share that tonight at a vaccine-proof-required event at the Wilbur Theater, Andrew Patterson and myself will be taking in a live comedy show Mike Burbiglia. So maybe a pod later in the week to recap what Burbigs is up to here in the late stage post pandemic or late stage pandemic world. Anywho, theme song coming up. We've got some sports jerks action coming again, solo style and a hush tones pod. So, you know, combination of a number of things here on a beautiful October Sunday morning. Subscribe, rate, and review to the Filibuster Freestyle wherever you get your podcasts, including Good Pods, Spotify, Deezer, SoundCloud. Apple Podcasts, and like I said, wherever else you get said podcasts. Filibuster, filibuster freestyle, filibuster, filibuster freestyle. Watch out for the filibuster. Filibuster. All right, so a theme song is in the books. Like I said, we're on our own today. Don't know what I'm going to title this one yet, but let's just start with Kike Hernandez. Enrique Hernandez, Red Sox utility player, who he can play infield, he can play outfield. He won a World Series ring last year at the Dodgers. Red Sox signed him for two years, $14 million, making $6 million this season here in 2021. Scheduled for $8 million next year in 2022, but scheduled to become, based on his performance recently, which we'll get into, an absolute Boston Red Sox legend and potentially a Boston sports legend if this thing keeps going the way it's been going through his first, I think, what, six, seven games in a Red Sox uniform in the 2021 playoffs. Kike Hernandez. Most importantly, I think, for those of you who grew up around when I did, so I, I grew up, you know, I'm 42 years old, right? So Nomar Garcia Parra, a.k.a. Noma was one of the first true homegrown Boston Red Sox sports legends that the people of my era and vintage really latched onto. And Nomar, I would say, arguably a heart. Whether he's a Hall of Famer or not, his stretch in Boston was absolutely a Hall of Fame stretch in terms of a shortstop, in terms of a a batter, in terms of just an absolute all-star perennially. So, Kike Hernandez decided to wear number five, which... For people my age, we all think of that as being Nomar's number. And a lot of people actually kind of feel like the Red Sox really shouldn't have just been giving out number five the way they have over the last 15, 16, 17 years. But I'm going to get into that. But Kike Hernandez is the first Red Sox member to do number five justice since Nomar left. I'm going to give you the list of number five since Nomar left in a second, but... Kike Hernandez is the first player in Major League Baseball history to record 12 hits in four games in a single postseason. No one's done it. He also has 13 hits in six games 
which is one more than David Ortiz's Red Sox record from 04 in terms of third. I think Ortiz had 12 hits in six postseason games in the same postseason. So Kike has been red hot. The Red Sox, who miraculously got to host the Yankees in a one-game playoff for the wild-card playing game, what seems like forever ago, but not too long ago at all. The Red Sox have dropped two games, and they've won all the rest. And, you know, they took care of the Rays in, a, in four games, and now they're tied with the Astros and head back to Boston, tied one-to-one, and essentially are now a best-of-five series to see who um, goes to the World Series. Anyway, let's talk about people who wore number five. So Nomar wore number five for nine seasons with the Red Sox, 96 through 04 when he was traded, I believe the trading deadline, in July of 04, and then the Sox went on to win the World Series that year. The Red Sox, to their credit, did wait almost five years to give number five back out. And it was worn by Rocco Baldelli, who was from Rhode Island, he actually had a really promising career with the Tampa Bay, at the time, Devil Rays, and came back home to Boston. I think he was a bit of an injury-plagued existence with the Sox, but he came back to Boston. He wore number five. It was a forgettable year for a guy who, again, was, was at a part of his career where he wasn't the guy he was when he was a prospect, but no shade to Rocco Baldelli for being the first guy to wear number five after Nomar five years later, but clearly Rocco didn't do justice to what number five was from an on-field performance standpoint. Fast forward to 2012. Nick Shredder Punto. Nick Punto is his name, went by Shredder, who is the bad guy from Ninja Turtles. So, okay, Nick. Anyway, Shredder Punto got traded um, in some mega trade of the Red Sox offloading people like Carl Crawford, who they didn't want anymore, to the L.A. Dodgers. Shredder left. Wore, wore number five for a forgettable season. Bobby Valentine was excuse me. Bobby Valentine was the manager. It was an abject failure. Red Sox won the World Series in 2013 after Shredder was traded. Bye, as Cindy Harrington would say. Shredder Punto didn't do diddly do in number five. In 2013 and 2014, Johnny Gomes, aka Hacksaw Johnny Gomes, wore number five. But also, so did a guy named Alan Craig, who I don't even remember existing. I think what happened is Gomes wore it once he got acquired by the Red Sox, and then Allen had had it first. Anyway, Johnny Gomes was part of a memorable 2013 Red Sox team, and that's great. But forgettable player, forgettable number five. Craig, Alan Craig, who I still don't know, but apparently was on the roster again at some point in 2015 and also wore number five. Don't know who the guy is. Didn't do Nomar justice. Didn't do number five justice. Zhu Wei Lin wore number five for 2017, 18, and 19, but so did Ian Kinsler for a bit in 2018. So clearly, Zhu Wei Lin, more of a minor league player, more of an extended roster guy, probably a September call up guy. I literally don't know who he is, which is me showing some ignorance and how much I did or did not follow the Red Sox, um, especially in 2017 and in 2019 when I was living in Charlotte. Whereas in 2018, they won the World Series, so I definitely dipped my toe back in there. Kevin Pillar wore it last year in 2020. Kevin Pillar is a great, solid, professional baseball player. No shade to Kevin Pillar, but again, not doing Nomar justice. But you got to love what Kike Hernandez is doing in the number five jersey here in 2021, trying to finally shine a candle to the absolute supernova that was the Nomar Garcia power experience, especially 
in the mid to late 90s and very early 2000s for the Boston Red Sox. Let me take a quick pause and I'm going to come back with another hot take relative to the Red Sox here in their postseason of 2021. Okay, so we're back. Very brief break for you all. I just needed to take a sip of coffee and reset myself here in my notes. So the Red Sox, typically when they have a special postseason, there is something wonky, weird, lovable, unique about the team's character that kind of gets, or team's persona that kind of gets leaked out and then celebrated as the team kind of picks up steam and has a greater awareness in the local me- local news media, the national media, etc. It happens with a lot of good teams, but the Red Sox have traditionally been a really interesting group of characters in the years when they've actually had a special run in the postseason. Think back to 04. They were the idiots, right? Led by Johnny Damon and others, with the Yankees being the clean-shaven, no facial hair, no long hair bunch. The Red Sox went the exact opposite direction, and they basically were a bunch of guys like Manny Ramirez, Kevin Millar, just people who didn't give a damn, and um, they needed that kind of looseness in the clubhouse to finally battle the crushing media skepticism of the curse of the Bambino and the fact they hadn't won the World Series in 86 years, et cetera, et cetera. So in 04, we had the idiots. 2007, that team actually didn't really do anything special other than it was a special team of one. But then you think about the 2013 team, who had been the last place team the year before, back when Nick Shredder Punto was rocking number five, and Bobby Valentine was the manager. Fast forward 2013, John Farrell's the manager. Um, that was the team that won, that, that won the World Series going from worst to first, but they were the beards. They all had weird facial hair, and they were the beards, but also that was the year when, unfortunately, there was the Boston Marathon bombing. So in, indeed, sorry, in addition to being the beard, the beardo weirdos, if you will, of 2013, they were the this-is-our-effing-city Red Sox who dedicated their season to the city and the victims and the survivors of the Boston Marathon bombing in the very eloquent David Ortiz soliloquy, this-is-our-effing-city. In 2018, they were the do-damage Red Sox. They they led wire to wire. They won the most games in Red Sox history. They were just about winning games, taking pictures of it, 100 and X amount of times in Alex Cora's office. But here in 2021, they are the dancing on my own Red Sox. I would call them the Robin Red Sox because Robin is the pop artist who originally wrote, performed, and recorded the hit Dancing on My Own. But... It's not her version, so I'm not going to call them the Robin Red Sox, but they are fast and quickly becoming the Dancing on My Own Red Sox. Now, again, the song was first written and made popular by Robin in 2010. It was then covered in 2016 by Callum Scott in a more acoustic, somber version. And then Tiesto, the legendary DJ and producer, took the Callum Scott lyrics, put it into a club remix of his own, and that is the song that the Red Sox have turned into their rallying cry and their theme song here in 2021. But Robin released it again in 2010. It's been famous for over a decade the world over, and as Vultures' Justin Curdo wrote recently, it's one of the best cry-in-the-club anthems of the 21st century. And it is. Do yourself a favor. If you don't know who Robin is, one, you should learn some of her songs, but two, go to a a nightclub, a house party, a wedding reception, or anything in between. And if there are women who were born especially in the 1980s, put on some Robins, see what happens. People lose their minds. 
celebrate the heck out of it. So the fact that the Red Sox have turned a Tiesto Callum Scott remix of Robin's original Cry in the Club absolute smash hit banger, dancing on my own into their own. I'm not saying they're going to win the ALCS. I'm not saying they're going to win the Red Sox. Sorry, win the World Series. But the Red Sox, when they typically do make a run like this since 04, have had something wonky and weird about them that helps make them a palatable, digestible, fun group to all the all the viewers and, and hangers on. And this time around, it's fueled by Robin, Callum Scott, and Tiesto in the third pop version of, pop hit version of, Dancing on My Own. All right, let's switch gears to football and our guy Tommy Brady. Tom Terrific, as he used to be known up here. And he still is. Just kidding. 2021 Tampa Bay Buccaneers schedule, I was looking at it the other day, is incredibly ironic that on the heels of winning the Super Bowl and going into his second season with the Bucs, Brady's schedule is essentially a who's who of people whose hearts he has broken and or he has beef with over his 20-plus year career. Because... They're playing the NFC East teams. They happen to be playing the Rams, and they're playing the AFC East teams in addition to the NFC South teams they always play in Tampa. But look at this schedule. So they played the Cowboys first night of the season. I have no known beef or baggage there with Tom Brady and the Cowboys other than that this could be a future beef in terms of an NFC playoff or NFC championship game preview. Then they play the Falcons, which obviously the Falcons have that 28-3 baggage from the Super Bowl, the ultimate comeback of all time, Super Bowl 51. Then they played the Rams, which Brady beat the Rams franchise both in uh, Super Bowl 36. I almost said 1936. Even though Brady's an older guy, he did not play that. But the Rams lost to the Patriots in uh, Super Bowl 36 and in Super Bowl 53. The Rams did avenge that, but they have baggage. Then they had the Goat Bowl, played the Patriots. All the baggage possible in that one. Two weeks ago, Patriots played the Dolphins, who Brady terrorized for the better part of 19 years in the AFC East. Then they played the Eagles, Super Bowl 39 baggage. Super Bowl 52, actually, the baggage is on Brady because he had a perfect game offensively, essentially, and the Eagles still won. So that game was a rubber match, which Brady won. Then they played the Bears, or they played the Bears today, excuse me, or whenever, next week, whatever. No known beef there. Play the Saints, who's now a division rival. No real beef there. Play the Washington football team. No real beef there because of how crummy that franchise has been for, the, for Brady's entire career. But then there's more all-time beef. They play the Giants. Super Bowl 42 and 46 baggage on Brady's side. You think Giants fans and Brady will be up for that one? They play the Colts, all kinds of Peyton Manning-era baggage from the Colts. They play the Bills, who Brady terrorized that fan base in Buffalo, probably the worst out of all the AFC East teams over the 19 years he played in the AFC East. And the Bills are definitely a Super Bowl contender this year. So that game is going to be at a fever pitch. They play the Panthers, Super Bowl 38 baggage. And they play the Jets, who... Brady terrorized the Jets just as bad as anybody else in the AFC East. But I will say that the Jets somehow were not as embarrassing against Brady as the Bills were, or even as the Dolphins were, over his 19 years in the AFC East. So can you think of teams that Brady has terrorized or broken the hearts of that don't include the Rams beating them in the Super Bowl twice, the Eagles, epic, you know, one-and-one in the Super Bowls, the Giants, which actually is the roles are reversed, 
Brady's 0-2 against them in the Super Bowl. The Falcons, the Panthers, both Super Bowl losers to Brady as well. And then, of course, the whole entire AFC East, plus the Colts, all people that Brady has storied history with, and for the most part, the upper hand with. So, boom, there you have it. An interesting video game-like, FU mode-like situation for Brady's 2021 schedule. Finally, we have not been doing last 10 minutes of a great game podcast very much lately. A lot of reasons going into that. Would love to be doing them still, but just don't, I haven't been doing them lately. I do want to point out that Wolves beat Aston Villa yesterday, scoring three goals in the final 10 minutes of the game plus stoppage time. They were down two to nothing in the 80th minute, came back to win it three to two in the 95th minute. So if you have Peacock or on demand and you want to watch Wolves stun Aston Villa, that's a recommendation for you to have your own last 10 minutes of a great game podcast experience without yours truly calling the narrative. Anyway, thanks for listening, rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the pod wherever you get your pods. And make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Villabuster Freestyle while you're at it too. Thanks for listening.